Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 31 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Sarah Coronado. Sarah launched an insanely successful Kickstarter campaign for her underwear line, Bloom's Privé, and in this interview, she's going to tell us all about it. Now, her underwear line is not just any underwear line. It is the world's first period-friendly travel panty. And that even in itself, that description does not do it justice. You guys have to check out the show notes. Check out her website, bloomsprevay.com, and take a look at how this underwear works. It has got these clasps on the side, and it self-packs into a little pouch inside, uh, inside of the underwear. It's a really, really, really cool item that she created out of necessity. And I can't wait for her to share your entire story. Now, Sarah had no background or experience in fashion when she got started. And she figured out the hard way how to launch and build not just one, but two fashion brands. First, she launched a denim line about five or six years ago. And now she has her brand, Bloom's Privé. Sarah did what any driven and ambitious entrepreneur would do, and she got out there and figured out how to do everything by Googling, reading articles, and reaching out to anyone and everyone she could to get help. Now, the problem with that was that she didn't really know anybody in fashion, so she didn't work in the industry and she had no contacts. And so that meant by reaching out and cold calling. Reach out, do cold calls, cold emails, and continue to just be driven by your own passion because you are as smart and as talented as anyone else out there. And that's one thing that we often forget is that we are, usually we get in our own way. Now in our interview, Sarah walks us through the exact step-by-step process of what it takes to launch a successful Kickstarter campaign. And just importantly, she talks about how to keep up momentum and to continue and engage with your customers how the campaign ends. It's a really, really great story, and her journey is really fun and inspiring, and I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. Now, I know I always ask you to share your, share the show, and I'm going to ask you to do so again right now. If you enjoy this podcast, here's what I want you to do. I always talk about the value of building relationships and providing people with value. So if you need something, like Sarah did, she needed help, she needed support in the industry, and sometimes it's not just about going out there and asking for people to give you things, but to also provide them with value. And maybe this episode, or maybe one of the other episodes in this show, is a way that you could provide value to someone who you need something from in this industry. It could be someone you don't know who you want to pick their brain for 10 minutes on the phone um, about how to start your fashion label or anything. So think about someone that you need a favor from instead of just going out directly and saying, hey, I have this question. Can you help it? Help me answer it. Think about how you can give them value. And that may be in sharing this podcast with them. Hey, here's this really great episode I listened to of the Successful Fashion Designer podcast, and I thought you would enjoy it as well. I wanted to share it with you as I thought it could really help you on your ventures in your fashion career, launching your label, whatever it is that they're doing. And that's a great lead in to then asking them for what you need from them. So always think about how you can provide value for others. It really helps build relationships. And that just may be in sharing this podcast. So if you have someone that you need something from, why don't you lead with sharing the podcast and giving them some value and then going in and asking for what you need. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. You guys, I really appreciate the help. Now, to access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 31. All right, on to the interview with Sarah. Welcome, Sarah, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, I am so excited to talk to you. You have shared part of your journey with me and your amazing, insane success on Kickstarter with your brand. But today, I'm really excited to hear more about uh, everything that's going on. And so to start out, can you please introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Thank you for having me, Heidi. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I, you know, I, I started fashion design about six years ago um, with no background to 
ever have started studying fashion. And um, I'm actually a um, project and program manager in the high-tech security industry. So for 12 years, I was, uh, you know, doing project management in corporations and on the side um, after work and during just burning the midnight oil, I would be uh, starting my business ideas and um one particular evening, I thought I would get into designing jeans. And so that was about six, seven years ago. And um, the, 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 the denim that I started was called Lotus Premium Denim. And that was the beginning of the entire um, Lotus and Bloom's um, empire, that, that you know brand that I'm building right now. And I really wanted to just make something that would fit me. Um, having no prior knowledge to fashion um, or fashion school or anything like that. I just wanted to create something. And as an entrepreneur, you know, anytime you, they said that necessity is a mother of all inventions. So anytime I envisioned something and I wanted to make something a little bit better, whatever I saw in the market wasn't, you know, um, if, if it didn't satisfy me, I just wanted it to create something better. I just, you know, took my idea and I would prototype it. And um, that was the start of really my fashion career. I uh, made jeans that fit me really well. And when I got my friends to try it on, um, they loved it. And so then, you know, we started the idea of just creating denim made to fit women of average to petite height. And then it really, really um, caught wind here in California and in the Bay Area is where I'm from. So from then on, I just started traveling up and down the state, I even did a Kickstarter for um, the denim, did trunk shows for it. And, um, you know, after that, I opened up a yoga studio, quit my corporate job. And it was then and there that I um, had the idea of developing um, what is now called Bloom's Purvey underwear for women that is um, offers women quick change. And it's travel friendly and also period friendly. So anytime I needed something, it was born out of my own um, desire, my own necessity. And I just took the idea and I would just prototype whatever I could think of and, um, and then validated it with a couple of other women and, and the rest is history. Um, so that's really my, you know, my fashion background. Um, it's, it's not a formal one, but it definitely is driven from my own passion and my own needs that I needed to solve. Okay. Well, first of all, I just have to say a couple things. One is that these underwear, because I've seen them in real life, and and there's it's really hard to do them justice in in an audio format. Um, so everybody, you got you have to check out the show notes. Um, to I'll I'll put a, a link to all the videos and stuff. How these underwear sort of pack up into themselves and how super functional they are. And then, but but going back, like I had no idea that was the beginning of your journey. These jeans, like six or seven years ago. And so where I really want to start then is with that because you were not in the fashion industry you had no background and I hear a lot of designers um, or let me rephrase that I hear a lot of people who are not in the industry say you know I have an idea I want to do something but like where do I even get started and so can you talk us through a little bit like really minutia what did you actually do to figure out you have no knowledge in how to make a product or, or fa- manufacture a product and so where, where did you even get started to I mean, manufactured denim of all things, that's not an easy task. Right. So having no knowledge of or, or, or contacts or resources, I went to the first thing that I could get my hands on, which is um, the Internet, Google, YouTube, and researched, read articles as much as I could. I was obsessed. Uh, this is something that is not for the faint of heart because <laughs> once you once an idea grabs a hold of you, it is no longer your idea. It is the universe's idea that chose you to carry it out. And that's how I felt. I felt obsessed with having to figure out what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to get it done? Who's Who could help me out? Um, and you start with just baby steps. You know, um, every single day, find an article, read something, learn something, make some cold calls. And that's how I started in the denim business, um, I actually cold called um, Stefano Aldighieri, which is, I believe, the creative director at one point for Citizens and Seven um, Seven Jeans. So, um, 
you know, he had a studio that he was helping like local artists and um, up and coming designers. And I, I, I cold called him and I gave him my idea and he said, hey, I'm going to I'm going to point you to a production manager that can help you out. You're just getting started. But when you, um, you know, in a couple of years, if, if you're looking to expand, um, get, you know, call me back and, and we'll talk then. And that was all it took, you know, just mm. getting someone's time. And, you know, it's very scary to uh, put yourself in a position where you might get rejected. You might call someone. They might not have the time of day for you. You might not even ever get to them. You email them. They don't respond back. But don't take it personal. You know, people are so busy. Um, and those who are truly successful, many of them have it in their um, heart, um, you know, and desire to help people make it and achieve their success, their level of success. So when they see someone who is earnest and reaching out, starting, you know, starting out new, they, they, more most likely they will try to help out. And um, and I think that the more often that you try, the luck, the luckier you get because. It's a numbers game, you know, so I would say, you know, reach out, do cold calls, cold emails and continue to just be driven by your own passion because you are as smart and as talented as anyone else out there. And that's one thing that we often forget is that we are usually we get in our own way and it's not anyone else. It's it's us. And so that mental barrier is the first um, thing you have to um, cross and, and overcome. I love that on so many levels because I mean, it it is at some point it's just baby steps and it's Googling and it's researching and digging and digging and digging and reading the articles and figuring a lot of this out. And then from there though, it is putting yourself out there. And, and I love that you say, you know, the people that are out there who have all this great knowledge and advice and who are experts, um, I don't remember if you used that exact word, but a lot of them are willing and happy to give you, you know, 20 minutes on the phone and can point you in the right direction or connect you with someone. Um, I, I, not to compare myself with the, the uh, guy you chatted with who worked for Citizens or um, Seven, but I just did that with someone the other day who wanted to start a swimmer line and she wasn't sure where to go. And I was introduced to her through an industry contact and was able to give her a ton of advice. And so don't be afraid to outreach to those people. You know, obviously they can't take every call, like you said, um, but you do have to put yourself out there and, and, and the numbers game. The more you get out there, the more calls you're going to get, the more feedback, the more input to help put you in the right direction. Um, so I love everything you said there. Um, so then, so s- sort of scooting forward, you did your denim line, you got some traction with that. And then um, what changed and, and made you, I mean, I, I think you found a gap in the market to introduce the underwear, but, you know, talk us through that transition a little bit and then the beginning journey of building the Blooms Purvey brand. Yeah. So this is, you know, I couldn't have made this up if I even tried because it's like you can plan all you want. And they say that life happens while you're busy making plans because, you, th- <laughs> you, you know, you can have this five-year goal. You can have this outlook. You can have this path that you're going to just keep, you know, on. But most most often, um, life will send you messages and surprises and you have to just follow, um, you know, follow where it leads you to. And for me, I knew that <clears throat> it wasn't necessarily the fashion that, my passion was around. It was what the product in the fashion embodied. It's the message. It's the, you know, for me, it's the Lotus and the Lotus is this beautiful flower that is, um, that thrives through adversity. You know, it grows from the mud and it grows up and reaches the light. And I liken that to our journey in life. Um, and, and so, you know, calling the jeans Lotus premium denim, then when I left and I pivoted, it was mainly out of just uh, manpower, lack of manpower, and also capital because I bootstrapped. You know, I was bootstrapping my startups and um, also working corporate, working full time. Um, it was really, really difficult to get something um, going, especially in the denim world, which is fully saturated. You know, a couple years ago, and I imagine now as well. So. Without the capital, without the team, without, you know, really, um, uh, you know, um, the ability to really kind of move this and scale it out in a way that I wanted to, I told myself, okay, well, what's plan B 
for you? And that answer for me was, okay, well, I know that I really want to help people. And I know that while I'm learning through this whole, you know, raising capital and um, getting, you know, a business started with the right amount of funding, I wanted to also because um, I didn't let my, limit myself to one dream. So, you know, my <laughs> overarching dream was to change the world. So in a better way and to offer that type of love and community for all people. So I wanted to open a yoga studio. Yoga was something that um, really healed me and I took it into my own personal practice and it really transformed the way I thought, the way I behaved, the way I worked, you know, everything. And so I wanted to open the studio and carry that Lotus um, brand in it. And so I called it Live Lotus Studio, Yoga Studio. And uh, my tagline from the denim was made to fit, born to inspire. And then the tagline for the yoga studio was live your journey. And so I carried it through and it was a really, really phenomenal, great success. We have a huge community here in um, Japantown, downtown San Jose. And um, and so, you know, when I when I opened the studio, I decided, okay, I'm going to jump with both feet in now because I've been sort of, you know, um, dipping my toes, my my foot, my ankle into the water with the denim. I knew that I I knew that I was an entrepreneur. I knew that I was born to create things um, because I couldn't stop focusing on anything else except to create and and share, you know, my vision. But um, but it wasn't until I opened the yoga studio that I decided to quit, you know, my day job. And that was a huge risk. That was something that was, you know, um, uh, eight years or 10 years in the making, you know, for me to, to have to decide to finally do it. And so when I did it, I knew that this, there was no going back. And I left the denim world momentarily so that I could open a yoga studio and see if I could, you know, start building my um, my brand in this light instead. And then eventually when I was able to afford to go back into the, you know, the denim world, um, that was my, my plan. So, and that's a funny plan because lo and behold, when I was teaching, I opened it for two months. I was teaching a yoga class. I happened to have experienced a right or getting, um, my period early. So, um, <laughs> You know, there I was, you know, in my Tadasana um, pose, asana, and um, I wanted nothing more than to go to the restroom or change. So I waited until the end of class, and um, I didn't have an extra pair of underwear or anything. And that moment, I realized I really wish I could have just changed into brand new underwear and taken the old one um, and put it somewhere discreetly. I had no solution, no way to do that. So that night, actually that moment, I thought of an idea of detachable underwear. And I went to prototyping it, went to the store, got a couple of, you know, sample underwear that I can, you know, play around with and cut and sew. And I sewed up until 4.30 in the morning that very night, tried it on the next day, loved it. Made some more, put a pocket in the, in the front so that it could... Um, self-pack into the pocket and I would be able to carry a few pair of underwear with me discreetly, conveniently and change it anytime I wanted to with the detachable sides that I made so that I never needed to take off my shoes, my yoga pants or anything that I was wearing. Um, it was as easy as replacing a sanitary pad and, and discreet and super comfortable. So that was what happened. And then I realized, Oh my goodness! I just opened my yoga studio, not you know, no no more than two months, and here I am now involved in another product innovation, product idea. So that's what I was saying back to like you know, um, life happens while you're busy making plans. Well, I thought I was going to develop this you know yoga studio and franchise it out and grow it, but um, obviously the universe had other plans for me and. When this idea came and it hit me so hard, um, I decided, you know, I need to, I need to share this with the world. And so I've just been juggling both the studio and with the help of my amazing co-founder and partners on the team, I've been able to um, continue growing the studio while uh, focusing on building the Blooms Purvey um, startup. 
I that's such a fantastic story, and I love how um, you know you had this moment and you're you're teaching, and your period comes, and then like that night, the product was just born. You just you got your hands dirty, and you cut and sewed, and you just did it, um, and then took it and ran with it, and so. Tell me about, you know, what happened then? Because you 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 told me some numbers um, when I met you um, at an event. We were at a, a mutual event in Chicago. And you, you told me about this insane Kickstarter that you launched for the, the Blooms Purvey underwear. And so talk a little bit about that. Like, why did you decide to do a Kickstarter? When did you know you were ready? How did you know that was the right path to go? And then I want to talk through, you know, how you were able to make that an insane success. I won't, I won't spoil the number. I'm going to let you share that with everybody. Um, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because it was so impressive. Um, but, you know, why did you go that path? Or how did you know you were ready to go that path? So I have an amazing advisor who has been um, supporting me in my ideas. And when I told him I wanted to, um, you know, develop this new innovative underwear design and that I've not seen anything like it in the market, he said, I know where you can launch it, you know, do your proof of concept and um, be able to show investors later on that, you know, this idea, you know, that you validated it, that there is a minimal viable product out, you know, out there that people would want. Um, do it on Kickstarter. And I said, no, I've done Kickstarter. I did it for the jeans and I don't really know much about digital marketing and ads and, you know, I, I, I'm not again, I wasn't too confident in being able to really um, do it and, um, you know, succeed wildly in it. Um, so I was, um, you know, not too, I, I guess I wasn't too excited um, when I was, you know, given that um, advice, because I just didn't know if I was able to um, get the numbers that I wanted to get, you know, from, um, from the launch. But I went with it anyways, because even if you're scared, um, you know, after you give it a, you know, a couple, I guess a couple nights, you know, to think it over, um, you just buckle up and you, and, and, and you, and you try to enjoy the ride. Um, I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I knew that he was right about having a platform like Kickstarter to show proof of concept, to validate the idea even before you manufacture it. And that, to me, was the one thing that I know Kickstarter is really great at. Um, but I also knew that it was a really um, difficult platform or more difficult for, um, you know, women-based fashion products. You know, it's, a, it's very um, high um, technology and um, geared uh, towards the, um, the, 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 the male population. Um, you know, just if you look at all of the products, um, excuse me, the, all of the projects on Kickstarter. Um, so I, I, I knew that it was an early adopter market as well. So it would be hard to have such a, a high touch tactile product like Bloom's Parade on um, a platform that is mainly more conceptual, more technology oriented um, or um, creative, like, you know, in film or photography oriented. But I still went with it anyways. And, um, and and that's what I did. You know, it took me nine months, close to nine months to um, plan and execute um, the launch. And then and then we had a two month long uh, live campaign. So that was close to about a year, you know, a year in planning and execution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, first, I want to just ask, because I know everybody out there listening, they're going to say, well, where'd you get an advisor? Where's this magical person that's giving you all this great <laughs> advice coming from? How do I find one? So where did you find your advisor? How did how that relationship happen? Yeah, my advisor um, actually was someone that I act. I was working at my corporate job and before I decided to quit, I said, okay, let me see if I can just get another job. And, uh, again, I was scared to, 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 to jump with both feet in, into the entrepreneurial and startup life. So he was the CEO of another company that I applied to work for. And, um, interestingly enough, when we met, I told him about my, my background, that I was an entrepreneur, that I moonlighted all of my ideas at night um, and worked on it. And um, 
he, you know, in my interview, um, we, we enjoyed the conversation, but he ended up not hiring me. A year later, <laughs> he, um, I, I decided to quit my job anyways, open the yoga studio, you know, um, and thought nothing of it. A year down, a year later, um, he finds me on LinkedIn, or he, you know, he connects with me on LinkedIn, and we catch up. And he saw that I quit my job and I opened up my own yoga studio. Uh, we met up for coffee um, and talked it over. And you know, he said, "The reason why I never hired you was because I knew that you needed to start your own company." And from then on, you know, the, the friendship, the mentorship that he provided eventually led me to asking him if he would, you know, become officially and formally my advisor for Bloom's Purvey. Okay. So pretty organic relationship. Pretty organic. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So then getting into the Kickstarter. So first of all, I'm, I'm really glad, you know, that you're super transparent about the timeline because I think a lot of people think, oh, I can just put up a Kickstarter like next week and <laughs> get all this money. But the reality is there's a lot of planning and building and prep work that goes into it, not to intimidate anybody, but to be really honest and transparent about what does go on and what goes into a successful campaign. So I know we don't have an insane amount of time, but, you know, give us um, what you would consider some of the high-level steps of building that campaign, planning that, and then going through the actual two-week, or excuse me, two-month campaign. Like, what does that actually look like? So, like, for example, if I'm out listening to this and I have this great idea and I feel really, you know, I, I've maybe made some prototypes and I think, you know, I could validate this on Kickstarter. Like, where should I start? What are those nine months going to look like? Like, wh how much can you walk us through that process? Absolutely. So, um, so first off, you know, the nine months was from the time that you decide to want to do it to the time that you execute or you go live. And um, you have to, you have to think about, your script, your video is really, really important. So putting together um, um, the, the vision, you know, the creative team behind it, making sure that you have the right um, um, product shots, making sure that you have the right video um, put together and the editing of it. And that in itself is really fun because it's really storytelling, um, but it's truly important to to, t to tell the right story through your video. And I can't stress it enough that you need to work with um, someone that you trust in carrying out your vision, a videographer that really um, understands what what story you want to tell, and in the tone that you want to tell it, and 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 just um, the setting, you know, and 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 the delivery of it. And then the other part is um, it deals with marketing and advertising. So you know you need to build your list of um, emails so that you can continue to share your, you know, your, um, your launch announcements and things like that. So get with someone, whether it's outsourced or not, for me, I had to outsource it because one of the things I learned in, um, you know, in, in, in my, my own project was if you don't know what you're doing, don't try to learn it within, you know, the time frame that you're supposed to focus on just launching your product. And for me, it was if I didn't know how to necessarily do online marketing or digital marketing or ads and, you know, there's all of nomenclature associated with that. If I didn't really know what, you know, that if that wasn't my my expertise, then it was better use of my time and also investment to find a partner that can do that. And, you know, an ads partner, a marketing partner or someone that can oversee all of that. And that is so critical because you need eyeballs to get to your page, to get to your site. Um, and, and that's where the conversion magic happens. So for me, it was really focused on the storytelling, you know, really understand and simplify it, dumb it down so much that a five-year-old can get it. And then um, really focus on the right partnership, whether it's in-house or it's outsourced out um, with, you know, um, ads and marketing. Okay, so before you go any further, I want to stop you there and I want to um, unpack a couple things. So one is, did you do any pre-Kickstarter validation? Because, you know, you're going into this, you're obviously you're investing a lot of money and a lot of time over these nine months. Um, 
And at this point, you're like, I, I don't really want to. I can't afford for this to flop. And so before you, I know your advisor said we should do a Kickstarter with this great idea. But did you do any pre-validation before launching, before starting planning all the Kickstarter? Um, I didn't. I didn't do any pre-validation before the Kickstarter, but I did do a pre-launch before the launch date. So we gave ourselves a month, like three to four weeks before launching, um, running ads, testing the ads and seeing what messaging worked, you know, doing AB testing on landing pages and things like that. Um, and so we, we, we tested more on our messaging than we did on the product validity because in in validating the product idea and need, it was done more organically for me in my studio. A lot of women come here to either teach or to take the classes specifically, specifically women, um, because you know, that's my market. Um, and so those women that did come through the door, I would ask them, I have this idea, I have this product, you know, is this something that you think you would need, you know? And so I did a lot of that before I eventually, um, agreed to launch it on Kickstarter. Uh, so, so I needed to make sure that the women in my community at the very minimum, understood the the need for the product and would want to wear it. And so um, in my prototyping phase, it wasn't just that day that I figured the day that I had that idea. And then, um, you know, another week out, I, I was ready to move forward. It was more like six months. It was um, me testing it out with my team, and then sewing a couple more samples and giving it out to instructors, um, to some yoga students, um, and then really myself just, you know, wearing it in and out day in and day out, washing it, making sure that this was something I would really be comfortable with and be confident in wearing and also be, um, confident in developing to share with other women. So my own validation phase prior to Kickstarter was about six months. Okay. And you did involve a lot of other people on that. So you weren't just creating it in a vacuum and making sure you liked it. Like you gave out samples and the prototypes and got feedback. So I, I mean, I would consider that a pre-validation to the Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. And it was local. So I didn't really send it out to anyone, but it was mainly within my own community. Yeah. But you were still getting real feedback from real people. So right. yeah, I think that's because that's priceless, you know, making yes. sure that they like it, making sure it's something they would actually buy, that they would actually wear, that they're comfortable in. Um, okay. And then um, next is, you know, you mentioned like building your email list. And, and so I, I, that's something that, that is talked about a lot, but I think can feel really intimidating. Like, well, where do I even start? Like, how do I get people to sign up for my email list? So what did you do to build that and get people signed up? So um, I did do a session with a marketing consultant and she was pretty phenomenal. Um, And I took her advice in building out, um, uh, I think she called it an email, um, an email marketing uh, automation. And and so I pre-built a story of maybe six emails um, into, you know, the automation trigger in, in my email marketing um, uh, tool called MailChimp. And so we would post ads and get people to sign up to see a product um, video. And then they would sign up with their email. They would see the product video after they signed up. And then once they signed up you know, with their email, then um, it triggers the email automation, the email list to send out to them. So every week, one email would be sent out to them. And it's just a story of, you know, um, how Bloom's Purvey was, in, you know, um, developed. And and it would just carry them along through um, the story. So then we developed a relationship with our subscribers. Um, we didn't, you know, inundate them with too much, you know, communication to begin with. But every week, we, we gave one piece of the story. And we timed it so that by the by the time they got their last email, the um, the Kickstarter launch date was, you know, within within that same week or two weeks, so that they would have that information still fresh in their mind. So um, that was one approach and method that worked really well, and it was pretty successful. And did you do Facebook ads for that primarily, or Google ads? Yes. Okay, Facebook. Facebook. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love that so much because. 
um, you know, I've, I've heard, I've talked to a lot of other brands on the show um, about the importance of including your audience and your customer in the journey. Like they want to hear the behind the scenes story of how your product was built and made and they want to, they want to be part of that. And so I love that you pieced that out, you know, a little bit over six weeks and delivered them that experience to be part of the brand. It's not you just selling them some product, but it's you really really involving them in the journey and the story. Um, so that was really, really smart and, and phenomenal that that worked out. Um, so Facebook ads drove them into the six-week email, and then you timed that with the launch of the Kickstarter. And so did everything kind of explode right when the Kickstarter launched at that time? You know, actually, it was it, it, we did hit some really high sales um, numbers in the first week. And um, it was actually more organic than it was from the, you know, the email list that we that we that we collected from our uh, pre-launch um, period. So a lot of friends and family supported us, and that's really important, you know, to make sure that if you're proud about your your product and your launch, really get out there and really share it with your community, with your network, um, because more, most often than not, those who really admire your um, your bravery and your courage, and you know, if you haven't, if you happen to have a really great product, they're going to support it. And so we saw that, and we were um, so grateful um, that most of the sales that came through became were first organic and um, within our own community. It didn't really spike in terms of conversion from just you know um, complete strangers, you know, people that really found the ads and you know, came in to, um, view the, you know, the, the video and the Kickstarter page that didn't really take off until a month later, mm-hmm. um, in, in our two month program or project. And, um, that's because we actually did not run live ads in the first couple of weeks in the live campaign. And that was a huge mistake. So I can only imagine if we actually ran ads, um, you know, at the start of the 60 day campaign, um, how much more we um, could have gotten in terms of, you know, backers. But when we started to run the ads, um, you know, in the in the second half, second leg of the campaign, then we really started getting that, you know, the, the conversions that really um, blew us out of the water. So, so now seems like a, as good a time as ever. Will you share the numbers that you guys did? What was your goal and then what you actually did? Yeah, so our goal was pretty modest, but I wanted to hit at least 11,000. Um, and be able to secure um, an order, a production run with the factory. Um, at the end of the campaign, we hit eighty-seven thousand. Like, what's that? Eight times? Pretty about much. yeah, about eight times. Yeah, or oh. seven. <laughs> congratulations i'm like i just got the chills it's so exciting congratulations from eleven thousand um to eighty-seven thousand. what did that feel like was it so surreal it was pretty surreal it was a lot of hard work and we learned so much from this um launch but we we just never i i think for me that number is you know it's pretty incredible um but for me l- what i learned through the process is more is invaluable. And that was just, um, the camaraderie, the team, you know, that, that, you know, we would just come in day in and day out waiting to hear that next notification from Kickstarter. We all had it on our phone, on the apps on our phone. So, um, you know, just doing anything we could tweaking the page, you know, getting emails out, um, sending updates to the backers and continuing to share our story and getting press and everything was, you know, in, everything was invaluable as a learning experience. And, um, you know, the number that we closed at was just sort of a, a byproduct of it, you know. So it was surreal. It was really surreal. And um, I, I would recommend any any young designer or even established, you know, designers um, to really try this out and really give yourself, you know, um, those, you know, few months to really – develop your story and your brand um when you launch on kickstarter and be totally invested in it and um and you know and people will love to hear that and the story they, they love to be a part of it yeah um okay i have a couple questions 
about sort of funding all of this. And you don't have to give any specific numbers if you're not comfortable, but you know, you you spent nine months, well, you spent six months planning and sort of making mm-hmm. prototypes and running those by your community. And then you spent about nine months building the campaign and testing and, and building out video and, and photography. And you invested in hiring experts. And, and obviously, none of that's free. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think a lot of people out there listening are like, well, where do I get the money to do this even to start? And so, um, you know, how did you fund this? So a part of um, my journey and my, you know, as a CEO and founder, I realized that my biggest job is not only to create the vision, which I love, but um, to fundraise and to raise capital, raise money, which I don't necessarily like <laughs> all the time. Um, but I had to, you know, I had to, I had to really get comfortable in, um, in, in, in raising the funding that we needed. And so as I was building out the, the vision and the, and the product development and, you know, making sure that our team was um, moving forward with all, you know, all ends being met and covered, um, I also had to go, you know, I had to direct, I had to develop a business plan. I had to work with, um, you know, um, local banks and, um, programs such as the SBA small business administration loans, um, and get that type of financing or funding that we needed in order to pay our, our team in order to pay for the ads in order to continue to, um, operate and take care of expenses, um, ongoing, you know, because we also run a yoga studio. So all of that requires, um, well, takes operational expenses, you know, and it requires us to have capital to continue and move forward. So a lot of the stuff, you know, that I'm talking about, other designers wouldn't have to, or other, um, entrepreneurs wouldn't have to necessarily, um, deal with, right? So if you're not running another business and if you already have a full-time job, you know, and you're doing something on the side and, you know, waiting to um, prove, you know, the concept with Kickstarter or, or whatever the case is, um, go with what you can fund. So you can't stop yourself because you don't have X amount. You know, if you, if you, first of all, do your homework, figure out what you need. So, Anyone who's going to give you money is going to ask you, how much do you need and what are you going to use it for? If you don't know the answer to that, they're, they, they're not likely going to trust giving you that loan or that investment. So find out what you really, really want. Um, figure out how much it's going to cost. And then go out and check out for the resources and the programs that are available to entrepreneurs, to designers. Um and then start to, you know, seek for funding there. Um, it can come in the form of credit cards if you, you know, if you really need it, um, from savings, from family and friends, from loans. Um, and, you know, it can go up to, as you know, as much as, you know, um, investors, you know, accredited investors. But if you, you don't have to go there, you don't have to raise hundreds and thousands of dollars or, or millions yet. You can start with what you have right now and figure out if it's enough to get you to the next, you know, the next goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and we don't need to dig too much more into the nitty gritty of the funding because at some point, yeah, like you said, you just need to figure out what you need and then figure out how to get there. And there's a lot of different paths and journeys to take. Um, so you guys did this crazy, insane <laughs> Kickstarter and now here we are. It's um, it's early November. When did the campaign end? It ended on August twenty sixth. Okay, so little over a month ago, about five weeks ago. No, 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 mm-hmm. no. Two and little over two months ago, September. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so now, um, you had this. I mean, eight times your expectations. And so how are you keeping up with that? Like how, what's your production timeline? What's your plan now to sort of fulfill something that was eight times as big as what you were expecting? Yeah. So I just got back from a business trip to LA and met with my production and 
factory manager. And um, I'll be flying out to Colombia. I'm so excited in the next couple of weeks to do a factory tour and to, you know, get the production going there. So um, in the past two months, you know, we've been just finalizing um, all the all the all the little details that we needed to secure in our agreement with the factory, um, making sure that we have all the trimmings, all the materials, all the costs, you know, ironed out. And um, we collected, you know, the from our backers surveys that um, confirm the, um, the 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 styles and the sizes and the types of underwear that they purchased or that they, that they pre-ordered on Kickstarter. So we grabbed all of that, um, took that data, gave it to the factory. So doing a lot of that um, in the in in the back end. Um, that's what I've been focusing on. And where we're headed right now is um, we're looking to get production going in uh, in our factory. Um, you know, th- throughout the holiday months coming up, and um, looking forward to getting the shipment out to our our customers, our backers, um, probably a little bit after the holiday, so maybe January. It'll be a nice post-holiday surprise in their mailbox. <laughs> it will be, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for them to finally receive it. And that's going to be the next cool thing is now to build that engagement and dialogue with them. So we have this awesome Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group for all of our backers. Every time a backer backs us, we send them an email, thank them, and then give them a link, a a custom link um, to join us on the Facebook um, group. And and in that group, we share all of the behind the scenes um, pictures, videos, um, posts, things like that with our backers. And so they get first dibs on anything happening. Um, So they're going to definitely see some pictures from me when I do visit um, the factory in Columbia, and I'll give them a personal tour of it as well. Wow, I love that. Even more, you're just continuing this journey um, and and keeping them involved in it and making them feel like a really special part of the process um, and thanking them in such an awesome way for backing and supporting. Um, has that been a good experience? Like, how's that Facebook community been? Has it been just been an awesome place to hang out? It has been the best reason for putting together a Kickstarter campaign because you get to really get to know the the customers, you know, the the women who purchase um, blooms, whether it's for themselves or their loved ones, even men, men who purchased it for their significant others or maybe their family members. It's been really awesome um, because then you get to see the name and the face behind the name and and then ask them, you know, why they bought it, what, you know, I create polls on the Facebook group and I ask them, you know, which features your favorite or, you know, um, you know, what color is your favorite? So we get to really get to know each other, I guess, on a very human and um, a very normal, very casual connection and level. You know, it's not a brand to a customer. It's, you know, one person to the other. And that's how I like it. You know, I like, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very community um, type of uh, um, engagement for me. So, yeah, and that also, I mean, just from like a strategic marketing angle, that gives you priceless insights into you know what they might want from you next. Like you said, like what features are their favorite? Maybe what ideas do they have? What what was this pair missing that they'd love to see in the next design or a different yeah. silhouette or a different color? And so now not only are you creating this awesome community of people and you get to know them and they get to know you, which is this amazing personal connection, but they get to help you develop the next round and the next round, which gives them exactly what they want. And and helps your business continue to grow and be successful. That's priceless. Yeah, I, I and and that's why I thought that um, you know um, putting together the Facebook group like this, which was actually um, suggested by my one of my other advisors on the Kickstarter team, uh, you know, to really get on a personal level and a very casual level with the backers. And so far it's been amazing. And I continue, we we haven't really done any updates yet in the past couple of weeks, but we plan on sending another one within the next um, couple of days. And um, when we do, it's just been well received all the time. So I love our backers and I'm so thankful for them. So it's, it's been nothing but fun for me. 
This is so cool. Um, Sarah, congratulations. This is such an amazing journey and story, and you've done so many cool things to to engage with your community and your audience. Um, and I think that's a huge reason why you're successful. Like, you can't look at this venture and and do it in a vacuum all by yourself. Like, you got to get out there and involve a bunch of people. Yes. Yeah. It's all about people. It's <laughs> There's nothing more important than that. You know, the product is just an output of... Um, the, the collective, you know, so it really is about the people. Yeah. Um, okay. So to end, um, I'll ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And that is, what is one thing that people never ask you about working in fashion that you wish they did? Hmm. For me, it would be, where does your inspiration come from? And where does your inspiration come from? It comes from a higher source. And that's what I do it for. I do I do it for that. And for me, it doesn't matter if it's fashion, if it's a wellness, um, yoga, you know, and fitness, you know, um, venture. It doesn't matter if it's software, computer engineering, or a bakery you know, um, when you, when you lose, when, when you, when you lose yourself into something bigger, when you pour your heart and work into something that's bigger than yourself, you know, that's where inspiration will find you. I love that. And you, you mentioned it a couple times earlier. You said, you know, these ideas just took over you. You stayed up till 4.30 a.m. Just you had to do this. And it's like that takes over control. You become obsessed. I think you actually use that exact word. Um, that's where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's, and, you know, and I just happened to be lucky enough to have fashion as my vehicle, right? Mm. Um, but it can apply to so many other realms of interest and passion. I love that. That's a great sign to know that you're doing the right thing when it just takes over and you can't, you can't stop yourself from doing it. You have to do it. Burn the midnight oil. Yeah. Um, Okay, Sarah, where can everybody find you and all the wonderful stuff you are doing online? Awesome. So our website, our e-commerce site will be up and launched soon, but you can find us now at, uh, bloomsprevay.com that's b-l-o-o-m-s-p-r-i-v-e.com thanks so much for listening to this episode of the successful fashion designer podcast if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 31 and since you made it this far you must have liked the episode i'll remind you that You can use this episode as a way to provide value to people who you need to ask a favor of in the industry. So think about this. I always talk about relationships and talk about how it's really important that if you need something from somebody, it's also important that you give back. It's a two-way street out there. And so think about if there's someone out there that you're reaching out to, maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them, you're asking for advice on how to launch your label or some career advice, whatever whatever it may be, think about... Pick out an episode that you think that they would really love and send that to them and say, hey, I thought you would like this episode because of these reasons. Be really specific and clear. Put some thought into this and share the episode with them. And then that's a great lead into asking, hey, and you know what? By the way, I would love if you could answer this question for me or if I could grab a five or ten minute phone call with you or maybe even take you out to coffee. Um, You know, I do talk a lot about how this is relationship business and how it's really important to continue to provide value. So think about a way you could pick out a podcast episode and share it with someone who you need something from, and that way you guys both win. Awesome. That would be really great if you guys could do that. And if you haven't yet subscribed, I always invite you to do that as well. You can do that at sfdnetwork.com slash subscribe, and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks again so much for your support, and I'll talk to you guys next week.